church. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 15. The title of the message this morning is Loaves and Leaven. And it's titled that way because that's what we're going to see in this passage. The passage is surrounded by bread. It begins with loaves and it ends with leaven. It's a long passage, verse 32 of chapter 15 all the way to 16, verse 12. And here in the passage, we're going to see Jesus move to three different groups of people. First, he's going to minister to the crowd that he has already ministered to. He has recently healed many of them. Then he's going to go in a boat and go speak to the Pharisees and Sadducees. And then he's going to get back in the boat and speak to the disciples. All with the aim of teaching his disciples about loaves and leaven. So let's turn our attention to God's Word. Look at chapter 15, verse 32. This is God's authoritative and inerrant Word. And then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I am unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. And the disciples said to him, Where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? And Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven and a few small fish. And directing the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate, and they all were satisfied. And they took up seven baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were 4,000 men, besides women and children. And after sending away the crowds, he got into the boat and went to the region of Magadan. And the Pharisees and Sadducees came. And to test him, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. And he answered them, When it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. And Jesus said to them, Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they began discussing among themselves, saying, We brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, Oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000? And how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000? How many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Please pray with me. Lord, we run to your word because where else can we go? As we sang, you give us the words of eternal life. So we go to your word now. We ask that you would open our eyes. 
Give us ears to hear and that you would fill me with your spirit that I might preach it and you would fill us with your spirit that we might believe it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I was driving to work yesterday and I drove through some real thick fog. Anybody else see that fog yesterday? So I'm driving through the fog yesterday and I'm getting real close to the church and it got so thick that I could barely even see the car in front of me. I, I, somehow I made it. I made it to church, got in my car, got into my office, and I open up this passage. I'm writing the sermon. I'm thinking through it, praying through it. And I'm, as I'm doing that, I'm looking out my window, and I just see the sun break through and the fog clear up over time. Before, you know, Over time, all I saw was the sunshine. No more fog. It was all gone. And it reminded me of the passage that I was reading at that very moment. Here's, here's why. How often are we tempted with the fog of life rolling in and descending on us? And when I say fog, I mean fog of fear, of doubt, of unbelief, of worry, of anxiety, of pain, of trial. You know that time when that fog descends in and you feel tempted and your vision gets cloudy and your focus changes? Maybe your focus changes to the loaves. And by that, I mean the present your needs, what you, what you want, what you don't have right now, or your vision changes to the leaven, self-help, worldly philosophy, and teaching, and all these other things that oppose Jesus and distract you from the truth. Jesus gives us this text here, and he calls us to have fresh eyes of faith, to break through that fog that can descend on us. To see him in his word, to let the light that is found in knowing Him break through and to see clearly His provision and His power and His sufficiency as well as all the poisonous teaching that opposes Him. So that's what we want to do this morning as we go to the Word, to see clearly Jesus Christ and have fresh eyes of faith. That's our mission this morning. I believe that's Jesus' mission for us. And we're going to work through our passage with three points tracking. As you notice, Jesus departed. He moved. He got in the boat. We're going to track those three different movements of Jesus. So point number one, first we see Jesus' provision. Jesus' provision, we saw that at the end of chapter 15, verses 32 to 39. Jesus' provision to the crowd. And maybe you thought, as I was reading the passage, or as you looked at it before earlier this week, Are we reading the same thing that we just read a little bit ago? Didn't we just hear a sermon on this three weeks ago? Didn't Jesus just miraculously feed a bunch of people? What's going on? And he did, Matthew 14. You flip your page back. He fed 5,000 men and more, women and children. Some look at a passage like this and they try to say, okay, Matthew obviously made a mistake. Or he's, he's repeating the same story There's something going on here. He got confused a little bit, and they tie themselves in the knots trying to say, why would the same story appear twice? It's amazing all this junk that you can read about all of this, but we don't need to explain away our Bibles. The story is here again because it's a separate miraculous feeding. Jesus actually fed 5,000, and then he, again, maybe a few weeks, maybe a few months later, fed 4,000. He can provide again and again. I'm sure there's, there's... John talks about there's more stories that would fill libraries of all the things that Jesus did that we don't even know about. So here's a separate feeding, and and I think we can clearly see that because the numbers are different, 5,000, 4,000. The amount of baskets left over, if you remember the last one was 12, this time it's 7. It's in a different location, 
And we see in this feeding, the people have stuck around for three days. They've been around for three days. And I think what's also important to see that is in this miracle, it comes on the heels of what we just heard preached last week, the healing of a Canaanite Gentile woman. And if you remember the end of that passage, verses 29 to 31, Jesus healed in that same region, likely a Gentile region. So he's ministering to many, many Gentiles. And at the end, verse 31, they glorified the God of Israel. So the point is he's ministering to Gentiles in this context. And some have suggested some commentators look at this and they see all the confusion. Did you know that all, the, all the confusion the disciples have about what's going on? And they are forgetting things. And they say it may be because Jesus, they're fine with Jesus healing Gentiles and this Canaanite woman. But you can't eat with Gentiles. They're, t- they're unclean. So to share a meal with them, to share a table fellowship with them. Like, wait, Jesus, you're not about to feed, feed this crowd too, are you? So that, yeah, there's no way we're going to do that. But here's... Here's the thing. Jesus is not the disciples. Jesus has been healing them. And then Jesus responds by saying, wait, they've been here for three days hearing me preach and heal and teach. When was the last time you stuck around for three days to to watch somebody heal and minister and preach? That's what they've been doing on this mountain in a desolate location. This is a crowd of about 10,000 people. 4,000 men, women, and children as well. And they're all gathered together, and they're hungry. They've run out of food. And I don't know about you, but sometimes what can happen when you get hungry is you get a little bit hangry. So they're, they're starting to wonder, I'm sure, about the food, but they don't want to leave. And watch. Just note Jesus' concern for them. Who, who initiates care for this crowd? Jesus. He calls the disciples to them. Wasn't the disciples' idea? Jesus sees the crowd, calls the disciples to him because he is the good shepherd. We see that in verse 32. Look at that again with me. It says, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat, and I am unwilling to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. And the disciples said to him, where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? Or I like how the NIV puts it, to satisfy so great a crowd. How can we do that, Jesus? Now, there's no stupid questions, right? But these are the same disciples who just saw Jesus feed 5,000, and they're saying, it's a desolate place. There's a big crowd. How are we going to feed them? Charles Spurgeon commentating on this says, the disciples are caught up. They, they think of their own poverty, of the wilderness, of the so much bread and the so great a multitude, and they forget their so great Lord. Here's what the passage is supposed to remind us of, though. In, in spite of their weakness, their dullness, their forgetfulness, in spite of our weakness, our dullness, our forgetfulness, helplessness, Jesus' sufficiency and his power is displayed and revealed. You know what Jesus does when he sees the hungry? He satisfies them. He reveals himself again as the Messiah. He is sufficient to provide. And this feeding, I love this, the feeding points to how Jesus not only satisfies the Jews, but the Gentiles as well. 
He's setting up a table for all eternity, the messianic banquet, and Jews and Gentiles will both be invited to that. And the call of this miracle is to see His power and His sufficiency and His provision and to come anew again to Him. If you're hungry this morning, if you feel uh, you just want to know more of Jesus Christ, if you feel like your faith recently has just been a little stagnant, a little sluggish, you just feel a little bit dry right now, the call here is to come to Him earnestly, hungry, desiring, and when you do that, when you fix your appetite on Jesus Christ, He will satisfy you. That doesn't mean when you feel dry, you feel sluggish, that you give up. It means all the more get hungry for Jesus and come to Jesus, trusting that He will satisfy you. We need to see that this is who Jesus is. Look at verse 32 again. When, when Jesus sees a crowd of hungry, broken, needy people, you know what goes on in his heart? Compassion and generosity. When you're sur- Check yourself, check myself. When you're surrounded by a big crowd of people or a bunch of kids around you who have snotty noses and needy and hungry, is your first impulse... On a good day, hopefully, on your first impulse, compassion. I want us to see that that is Jesus' first impulse every time hungry, broken, needy people come to him. We've seen this again and again in Matthew. He is full of compassion. And Lamentations 3.22 reminds us his compassions never fail. He, he knows the world we live in. He knows our weakness. He knows the devil that we fight against. And his heart is compassionate. His heart is compassionate to the humble. And what's more, he is Able to help the weak, and he's willing to help the weak. You see that word? Actually, it says he's unwilling to send them away, which means he's willing to help the weak and the broken and the needy. And perhaps what's surprising, again, is that he's willing to use weak and needy and forgetful disciples as well. You see that? He, he made the bread and the fish. He multiplied it. And what's, what's the first thing he did? He gave it to the disciples to give to the crowd. He doesn't ask the disciples to do it all. He simply says, what do you have? And then he hands them the baskets. He simply calls them to follow him as he provides, to watch him as he works through them, and to be willing to be used in whatever capacity he calls them to. So for us, listen, whatever loaves or, you notice that small fish that you've got, Whatever weaknesses you feel, whatever inadequacies you feel, whatever disabilities you may have, whatever your personality, whatever your situation, whatever your position, whatever your season of life, whatever your age, whatever that might be, it is enough in Jesus' hands. Jesus intends to use each one of you as he builds his church, as he advances his kingdom, and he will provide what what you need to get that work done. And he will strengthen you, he will grow you, and he will mature you as he does it. That's the picture we see Jesus powerfully working, providing, and sufficient. We see that. And then Jesus gets into the boat across the sea, which takes us to the second part of this text. Jesus' rejection. Jesus' rejection. We see that as we turn to chapter 16 in the first four verses. Jesus goes from the Gentile region and he returns across the sea to a Jewish region. And what happens in this Jewish region? Quickly, it's almost like they were watching for him. 
A delegation likely from Jerusalem of Pharisees and Sadducees come to him to test him. They don't just come to greet him like, hey, Jesus, welcome back. They come to test him. You see that verse 1? The Pharisees and Sadducees came and to test him, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. Last time this happened was all the way back in Matthew 3. When you see Pharisees and Sadducees coming together, that's a rare occasion. They're both part of the Sanhedrin, which is the Jewish authority, but these are two religious groups who don't get along all that well. You don't often see them paired together in the same place, but here they are. As one commentator put it, a common opponent transforms enemies into friends. Well, they've got a common opponent, opponent, and that's Jesus. So enemies have become friends, and they've come with the same purpose to test Jesus, acting together. Last time we saw the word test was way back in Matthew 4, when, remember, Jesus was in the wilderness, and Satan came to test or to tempt Jesus. That should have right away clue us into the fact that these, this group is up to no good. They're not seeking truth. They're seeking to test Jesus. And Mark 8, when it, when it, in its mirror of this story, uh, in the Gospel of Mark, Mark says that Jesus sighed deeply in his spirit when the Pharisees and Sadducees came. He's just weary of opposition and rejection. You ever, you ever sighed deeply in your spirit when there's a bunch of people who need something, or when somebody walks up to you and you know that they're just going to oppose everything you say, it's going to be an argument, and you feel that sigh deep in your spirit. Hopefully it's a holy sigh in that moment, not a sigh of frustration and annoyance, because that's what this was. This is a, oh, would you just see? You are so blind. You're doing this again. You're going to ask for a sign. But these leaders have already rejected Jesus. Back in Matthew 12, we saw that they were conspiring together to destroy Jesus. And this is them just acting that out. Let's test him. Let's see if we can destroy him. Let's ask for a sign from heaven. And so they go to work. We see in verses 2 to 3, Jesus' response. Now I want to note something. You might see a footnote in your Bibles. Some manuscripts don't include verses 2 to 3. So there's some discussion about whether this should be in our Bibles. But many commentators agree. It is inspired. We're going to treat it that way. This morning. So as you look, verse 2, the leaders are asking for a sign from heaven. And I love this. Jesus is going to use a pun. They're asking for a sign from heaven. And Jesus says, When it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky, same word, heaven, for the heaven is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. His point is that the leaders know how to look up into the heaven already and interpret the weather. They, they can see what's coming. We've got a similar phrase for this, right? Red sky at night, sailors what? Red sky in the morning, sailors take what? So it's a very similar phrase that he, he, he uses. And his point is you can read all those signs. You've got that down the, the simple things, really kind of unimportant things, but you're missing the sign that's right in front of you. You're asking for a sign from heaven. Guess what? It's right in front of you, and you continue to miss it. And the leaders want another sign, but without faith, you don't come to Jesus without, with, with faith. It's not going to prove anything. Jesus could snap his fingers and make a bunch of bread and fish appear. He can make something show up in the sky. It's not going to work, because when you're spiritually blind, you need the Spirit to give you life. 
And these groups of people are spiritually blind. They're testing Jesus to trap him. Jesus tells them they're missing it. Because here's the sign of the times. The Messiah is here. The kingdom of heaven is here. The new age has dawned. And Jesus doesn't say this here, but the lame are walking, and the blind are seeing, and the deaf are hearing, and the dead are being raised. Things prophesied in Isaiah 35, in Isaiah 61. Pharisees, Sadducees, you should know your Bibles. You should have seen that. Look around you. These things are happening right now. He is the Messiah, and they're missing it with their hard hearts. And Jesus, facing the rejection of him yet again, rejects them. He doesn't give them a sign. I'm going to perform magic, no magic sign. The only sign they're going to get is the sign of Jonah. He explained this back in Matthew chapter 12. The sign of Jonah is that one day these leaders are going to nail him to the cross. They're going to bury him in a grave for three days. But like Jonah coming out of the whale after three days, he's going to come out, he's going to rise again. And the other aspect is that Jonah preached the gospel to a bunch of Ninevites, a bunch of Gentiles, and they repented. Jesus is preaching this gospel, and a bunch of Gentiles will then come to him, and the Jewish leaders, many of them, will reject him. It's the sign of Jonah. And this marks a decisive break in the book of Matthew. Notice how Jesus just leaves. He just leaves them. That, that mic drop moment. He's not going to explain. He's not going to argue. He leaves them. He, he turns around, he gets a po- in a boat, and he departs from them, and he leaves them in their unbelief. The attitude of the Jewish leaders, and, and sadly, many of the people Jesus heals and feeds is that they will only believe if they see signs from him. But Jesus has revealed himself, and the Jewish leader's aim is to control him, to tame him, to tap him down. And he calls all this unbelieving mindset. You don't believe in me. This is all unbelieving mindset. He calls it leaven in verse 6. And and tell you what, we all see this. There are many today who continue to reject Jesus. Some for these same reasons. They're waiting for another sign. Like, I just need another sign that God is real, that God exists. Well, have you looked at the clouds? Have you looked at the trees? Have you looked at the glory he has revealed? I just need another sign. I need another sign to say that Jesus is who he says he was. I need another sign that the Bible is truth. Always looking for signs. Never reaching the truth. Never proceeding in faith. And it's a good check on us. Maybe, maybe that's some of us here this morning. Some of us may be here this morning and Jesus has revealed himself to us time and time and time and time and time and time again. And we have not come to him. And I want to just... I see kids here. I see teenagers here. And I, I love that you all are part of this service, here in the sermon every single week. And you all have heard Bible stories all your life. Some of you, you've grown up in the church. You've heard us say from the pulpit, week after week, turn to Jesus. Repent of your sins. And my worry is that you might still be missing it. And so my call for all of you I'm going to say the same thing. Turn to Jesus Christ. If you have not turned to Jesus Christ, and that means realizing that you are, you are a sinner, you have sinned, 
looking at Jesus Christ, fully repenting, confessing, repenting, turning from your sin, and asking Jesus to forgive you. And if you have not done that, whether you are 12 years old or 6 years old or 72 years old, it's time today. It's time to pray, as, as Richard prayed earlier, open my eyes that I might behold wondrous things in your word. To remove these scales of my eyes that I might see, that I might believe. Give me a new heart that actually believes in you, that sees my sin, that sees Jesus Christ on the cross sacrificing himself and believes it. We can see all that and still not believe it, but eyes of faith that believe it. Jesus said to Paul in Acts 26, we hear, Jesus said, I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. That's available. And for all of us, this morning God is sending his living and active word to you that your eyes might be open, that you might turn to God and receive forgiveness. And listen, Church, those who have received forgiveness, hallelujah, those who have received forgiveness, let's remember we were all spiritually blind until the Spirit broke in and helped us to see Jesus Christ. And we need that same Spirit to open our eyes, as we sang over and over and over again this morning, to open our eyes, because the fog still comes in. We still blind ourselves to the truth. We need the Spirit to give us the power to open our eyes, to actually hear the words of Jesus Christ. So I pray for that again, Lord. Open our eyes that we might hear your truth. Listen, we don't need any more signs. We have received the greatest sign we ever need in Jesus Christ. This same Jesus is the one who we're going to watch. He's going to be taken away by the Jewish leaders. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be mocked. He's going to be nailed to a cross. He's going to be rejected instead of us. He's going to suffer instead of us. He's going to take wrath instead of us. He's going to be buried in the cave that he made. He's going to rise from the grave to defeat the schemes of the devil who would try to sow seeds of mistrust and unbelief and lies. And on that morning when that happened, the light of Jesus exploded through the clouds and we have life now in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. And this this is what we need. This is all we need. To fix our eyes on the great things God has done for us. In Jesus Christ, remember the forgiveness we have by the blood of Jesus Christ. The call is to remember and fix our eyes on that. But as we look back at our text, I mean, this should sober us. The Pharisees and Sadducees have heard it, but they haven't heard it. Their eyes are not open, and Jesus leaves them in their unbelief. He departs for them. He gets in a boat with his disciples, and there he gives them a warning which takes us to our last point, point Jesus' warning. We're going to see this in verses 5 to 12. Jesus is on the boat, and he's thinking about leaven. He's thinking about the leaven he just saw in action with the Pharisees and Sadducees. And he's going to explain what that means. And you know what the disciples are thinking about? They're thinking about bread. They're thinking about the loaves. And so we're going to see a contrast. We're going to see a conflict there. Look at verse 5. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And the the disciples began discussing it among themselves, saying, he brought no bread. Man, these disciples are not having a good day. 
I mean, tell me about it. We see their failure again and again and again. They are a forgetful bunch. And I think we can all raise our hands sometimes and say, yeah, we're a forgetful bunch. I'm a forgetful person. Have you ever gone to work or school and forgotten your lunch behind? Like, ah, oh, man, what am I going to do today? You ever been on a road trip and you're driving along and you're just picturing this food and this drink and you reach over and you're like, oh, it's not there because you forgot it. It's still in your fridge. I can remember driving to North Carolina once. It's like a 12-hour drive and we're driving straight through and I need sunflower seeds to keep me awake while I'm driving. So I'm like, I need the sunflower seeds. So I'm so about an hour in, I'm ready to go. I reach over for the sunflower seeds. There's no sunflower seeds. I can't find them. I'm digging around, digging around. I don't think I even mentioned it to Abby. I'm just in my head. I'm like, where's the sunflower sunflower? seeds? I'm trying to find the sunflower seeds. And I'm driving along going, what am I going to do? I want to get to my destination. It's 12 hours. I don't want to stop somewhere. I'm not driving home. All I'm thinking about is sunflower seeds for 10 minutes until I finally say, Abby, did you pack the sunflower seeds? No? Oh, okay. And I had to move on eventually. But the point is, I'm just... I'm thinking about the food. I'm distracted. That's kind of what's going on here. The disciples are jumping in the boat, ready to go on a trip with Jesus, and thinking about the food, thinking about the bread that they forgot. Their focus is entirely on the bread and the empty baskets in front of them. Mark, Mark's gospel actually says they had one loaf between them, but one loaf, and I'm like, one loaf? How many baskets were left over after Jesus? How many baskets? Do you all remember? Seven baskets full. I don't know. Some. I don't know if they were like. Well, those baskets the Gentiles touched, so we're not taking those with us. I'm not sure. But the point is, they didn't bring the baskets, or if they did, they dumped out the loaves first. I'm just picturing the the conversation in the boat. Like Matthew turns and and he looks at Thaddeus and says, "Hey, you brought the baskets, right?" And he's like, "No, I brought the twelve from last time." It was your job. I actually told John to do it. John, I don't know. I don't see the baskets. They're not here. Wait a minute. We have no bread. The bread's all gone. Jesus, turn the boat around. Let's go get the baskets. The point is, I don't know what's going on here. How do you forget baskets? Jesus, seven baskets left over. That's provision. That's abundant provision. And they don't have it. They don't have any bread. That's all they're thinking about. And the important point to note is that they're thinking about that, which means they're not listening to Jesus. Jesus is talking to them. They're not listening. They don't know what he's talking about. He's talking about the leaven, which he says is the false teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they think he's talking about the bread that they forgot and kind of like talking about that again. They're already forgetting how Jesus just made loaves for about 10,000 people from seven loaves. These disciples are those of little faith. They have faith, but it's small faith. That's the difference, right? The Pharisees and Sadducees have no faith. These disciples, give them a break. They do have faith, little faith. And their focus is revealing. Their faith is enveloped by their own interests and what they need and their concerns and their wants. It's not unbelief. They have faith, but it's a type of unbelief. It's functional unbelief. In that moment, they were not believing Jesus sitting next to them was the Son of God who could provide in that situation. Jesus says there, oh, you have little faith. We see that phrase back in Matthew 6. Matthew 6, verse 30, Jesus says, But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe clothe you, oh, you of little faith? 
Therefore, don't be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Oh, can't you relate though? How quickly we forget God's abundant provision. I've never seen God multiply fish and loaves. I could read about it and that should strengthen my faith, but I've never seen it. But I have seen, and you all have seen God provide miraculously time and time again, putting food on the table, giving you a gift of money, preparing a way for you. But our concern can be the food and the clothing and the material, and it can blind us to former mercy and kindness. But this is so instructive. Look how Jesus responds to us, to the disciples in that moment, to us who can be of little faith at times. Verse 8, he says, Oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not yet do you not remember the five loaves for the five thousand and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the four thousand, how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? The key word to circle there is remember. Do you not remember? Do you not remember? The word is more than just recall, like remember, making mention of something, but it's to get to pay close attention, to get insight from something that happened in the past, that your faith might be strengthened and renewed. So Jesus is saying, don't you remember? And he would ask us that today. Don't you remember how I filled in the blank? I can remember about 10 years ago, I was looking for a job, about to get married, and I couldn't find a job. And mistrust, unbelief. Little, 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 little faith in that moment. God provided a job. Two years later, same situation. I'm looking for a job. And I'm tempted again to not trust that God's going to provide. But I can remember passage, this specific passage and passages like these where God's calling me. Don't you remember? Don't you remember how I gave you a job two years ago? I will provide for you to trust me. For you, don't you remember how I, I rescued Esther, how I rescued Israel and Peter, how I provided a job for you, how I provided a house for you, how I provided food for you every single day of your life. Jesus wants to confront unbelief that can take root in his calling for faith. The question for, for, for all of us, where are you focused on the loaves? Where has your focus turned to the bread? Where are you letting the mundane, the material fog up your vision? Is it blocking out your time in the Word? Do you find yourself distracted when you get in the Word? And get in the Word, that's one of the key ways we remember, but when you get in the Word, you find yourself thinking about the to-dos and everything you have to, to get done that day. Do you find yourself coming here on a Sunday morning just feeling distracted by the things of this world and the things that are going on later today or happened last week that you're anxious about you see, when the mundane and the to-dos and the anxiety is the material, when they consume us, we forget the clear teaching of Scripture. God would call you again to look at those times, to put aside the distractions, and like Mary, sit at the foot of Jesus and to listen to Him. But I just, what I found so helpful is when we get in the Word, Put a piece of paper and a pen next to you so when those things come, oh, i got to go do this. i got to fix the lawnmower. i got to make this meal. Jot them down on the paper. Get them out of your head. Get that distraction away so you can see clearly, hear clearly what's in the Word, what Jesus would teach you. I would just call you this week. 
part of your quiet time, make a list. What are those lows? What are those things that you're questioning? Is God going to provide? Is he going to do this? Is he going to give me a new job? I'm not sure if he's going to provide a spouse for me. I don't know how this next school year is going to go. Write those things down. Identify them and respond with the promises of Scripture. There's Scripture's full of them. Philippians 4.19, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I don't know about this need, though. Lord, I don't know if you're going to provide this. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So Isaiah 41.10, Fear not. I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Put his promises to work and watch faith grow. And if you have been given the gift of faith, if you are sitting here this morning going, you know what, I'm in a position, I'm in a place in my life where I am full of faith, then God would intend to continue to use you to stir up faith in others. I wish one of the disciples did this. Like, hey, guys, hey, remember Jesus is sitting right here. You got 12 guys and none of them remembered it. But we got a whole church of people. Some of us are dealing with loaves right now. We're thinking about, we're consumed, and that's going to come up in a conversation. And God wants to use you to stir up faith in somebody else. Hey, hey, you're thinking about the loaves again. You're thinking about all your needs. Remember what the Lord says. Fret not. Commit your way to the Lord and trust in Him, and He will act to stir up faith in each other. When they tell you about the loaves, point them to Jesus. Point them to the bread of life. And as just an example of how to do this, look at Jesus' patience. Look at his kindness to his disciples. Disciples are talking about bread and bread and bread. Look at his kindness to them. Jesus, he corrects them, and then he repeats the lesson. Like sometimes we hear one plus one equals two, and we don't get it. And so he repeats it for us. He says, beware, verse 11, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And here we see in Matthew Understanding beginning to dawn in the disciples' minds. They're starting to get it. We're going to see that next week. Peter is going to have this climactic confession. You are the Christ. You are the Son of living, the living God. And they're beginning to get it. Jesus wasn't talking about bread. He's talking about leaven. Leaven, especially in that time, they would take a piece of the loaf from last week. They would set it out let it ferment, get acidic a little bit, and then they would use it. And what happens when you put leaven or yeast and you mix it with flour and you cover it up with a towel like you're making pizza? Kids, what happens when you mix yeast with flour? What happens? It rises up. It gets bigger. And we see this picture. Leaven is a familiar picture in Scripture. It's small. But when you activate it, when you put it to work, it gets bigger. It expands. Often, though, we see... Well, we see leaven. We saw it in Matthew. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven. It starts out small, but it's going to expand. And it will continue to expand forever. But oftentimes in Scripture, we see leaven linked with sin, with evil, and with wickedness. It could be an area you've refused to obey God or a false teaching you've indulged in. 1 Corinthians 5, 6 and 7 says, Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Galatians 5.9 says the same thing. The picture we see that Jesus wants to give us is how, how even just a small amount of false teaching, when you put it to work, when you put it in your heart, it can spread. We, we see this in the Jewish leaders. 
we see how the rejection of Jesus spreads throughout the nation and until all of Israel, most of Israel is ready to reject Jesus and they shout out, crucify him. When evil gets a hold in your life, it is a powerful thing. When it gets a hold in a community, it is a powerful thing. Jerome was an early church father and he, he, he talks about leaven this way. He said, leaven has this power that if mixed with flour... That which seems small would grow into something larger and draw to its own essence the whole loaf. So too with heretical doctrine. If it tosses even a tiny spark into your heart, in a short time a huge flame grows beneath and draws to itself a person's entire substance. That's the danger of leaven. So Jesus says, beware. Watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees that can grow and that can consume your entire substance, if not unchecked. The Pharisees and Sadducees, they were very different, but they were common in this. They rejected Jesus Christ. They rejected the gospel. Whether they tried to add to it or take away from it, they rejected the gospel. The leaven of the Pharisees, we've heard this, it was more specifically legalism, adding to the gospel, traditions and commandments and judgments and looking down on others and being hypocrites, talking about what they should do, but not actually doing it. The leaven of the Sadducees was more about taking away the gospel, taking away from it, secularism. They didn't believe in supernatural. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in the resurrection. They thought when you died, you died. And so they said, this life is all you get, so we're going to exalt human reasoning right up against Scripture. And we're concerned about wealth and status and political power. This life is all you get. And these doctrines... They're not just doctrines back then. Jesus is instructing us today. These doctrines are alive and well today. The doctrine of the Pharisees, the doctrine of the Sadducees. And so Jesus would warn us as well. Is there leaven in your heart? Is there leaven that is beginning to take hold in your heart? Because you know what leaven does. Leaven doesn't just sit there. It grows if left on checked even a dash of wrong thinking or empty worldly philosophy or secularism or listening to speculation or engaging with controversies or vain discussion or godless chatter can have a massive influence on yourself and those around you leaven doesn't just stay leaven it grows and expands and it starts affecting the people around you as well And the way we discern if that is happening is by evaluating what we're listening to and what we're engaging with. Where where are we running to get wisdom and security and comfort and knowledge? Are we being led by the Spirit who gives discernment? Because sometimes it's hard to figure out what's true and what's false. Are we being led by the Spirit? Are we walking by the Spirit to get discernment? One way to identify that is examine the fruit in your life. Is it the fruit of the Spirit? Or is it the fruit of this world? Is it rotten fruit are there non-gospel things that are beginning to become so important that it is consuming your focus it's leaving you feeling divided from other Christians maybe even others in this church because you have this view that you hold so strongly and you feel just more disunified with others around you more divided from them maybe it's things like your own personal wisdom 
or the world's wisdom or things like expert opinions about what certain foods we must eat or how we must run our household or what we must put into our body and not allow to go into our body or the wisdom of a musician or a yoga instructor or a celebrity or the voices on TV or the internet or podcasts or blogs, those who promise something new or unique or different or better. Beware of the leaven. We must be aware of the leaven that is clearly heretical, clearly false doctrine. We also, we also got to be on, on the lookout for leaven that is mixed in with good interests and good hobbies and good things we can read that can be mixed in to the point where it can consume our focus. When we let this leaven in our lives, when we let it in this church, it will have a growing and a dangerous and a divisive effect. So beware of the leaven. But the path of discipleship, it's a process, and it calls us to be vigilant, to cleanse out the leaven in our hearts, to see the world through the lens of the Word, to be guided by unchanging truth, to see through ever-growing eyes of faith. And let me wrap up here. Listen, how encouraging is it that when the disciples listen to Jesus after He repeats Himself in the boat, He gives them understanding. When they listen closely, like, like you're all doing right now, you're looking over the Word, you're pouring over the Word, and let me encourage you, church, you do this so well, you go to the Word, and you pour over it, and you listen to Jesus. As we do that, the Spirit illuminates our minds and gives us understanding. Go to the Word. Test everything against Scripture. And may that continue to mark us, listening to and loving Jesus Christ. I love just yesterday, I love listening to, to Lisa Siegert's testimony. You were there, you heard it time and time again. You got an idea of how she lived her life. She was a woman who celebrated Jesus, and she, she had a gift of faith. She was content, like Mary, to sit at the feet of Jesus. And it led to a joy-filled life. It led to a faith-filled life that had an effect This is the opposite of leaven that divides. It had an effect that was contagious, and it built up others around her. And it was a God-exalting testimony. And so may the Lord do the same work in us. Till that day when we see Jesus face to face. Please pray with me. Lord, it is the spirit that gives life. The flesh is of no help at all. So Lord, would you continue to give us the spirit of discernment? There's so much just floating around that would seek to take us captive. But we long to be led by your spirit to listen to the words of Jesus and to submit our wills to you. So help us. Give us eyes of faith. Open our eyes and our ears to see you high and lifted up. I pray that we would leave here encouraged. Would our faith be strengthened? Would be ready to face anxieties and worries and say, yeah, that's, there's a little loaves in my life, but Jesus Christ promised to be with me even to the end of the age, and he is sufficient for this moment. Please strengthen us today, Lord. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.